you would, we'll begin tonight in Matthew 25, or excuse me, Matthew 27. We're going to begin with verse 15. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that uh, rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. See ye to it. I think we have a problem in the world. And it's not just our nation. It's not just any other nation we can think of. I'm not sure now the number escapes me how many different nations there are in the world, but there is a problem within each of those nations. And that problem, I believe, is its perspective on responsibility. Now, we talked this morning about working on a better body. Of course, we talked about that in uh, the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, talking about the spiritual body that Paul longed to have. But this morning, or this evening, I want to talk a little bit about responsibility. And, uh, that's something that's missing in the lives of a whole lot of people. We see it around us all the time. We see that all the time. And I think that in this example of Pilate, we see that he lost his perspective on responsibility, if he ever had a good perspective of responsibility in the first place. He believed when he washed his hands of the matter, referring to Jesus that he was innocent of the blood of that just man. Well, that's not true. He was just trying to put the blame on someone else, wasn't he? I don't know if you all read this or saw this in the news, but I just read the other day a man, uh, maybe in Las Vegas, I don't really recall the city where it was, but he's suing a casino there because he went and he gambled all of his money away. And somehow or another, it was that casino's fault. Well, he said they should have known that that I had been barred from several of these other casinos. So they should have known that I shouldn't have been allowed to go in there with my money and lose my money. Well, you know who knew for a fact that the man had been barred from other casinos because he was obviously making wrong choices? He knew it. He knew it, didn't he? Who knew that Jesus was a just man for sure? Pilate knew it. Of course, the Jews knew it as well. But Pilate knew it for sure. And so when we look at this idea of someone trying to lay the blame on someone, like that man suing the casino, Pilate was looking to remove himself 
from any responsibility regarding the actions that would later happen to the Christ. Of course, we see that very thing happen in the very beginning, don't we? We go back to the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Eve uh, ate of the fruit, gave it to her husband. The presence of God came into the garden and said, What have you done? What did Adam say? Well, it's that woman you gave me. She caused me to do it. He didn't want to take responsibility. I think we call that passing the buck. Well, he asked the woman, what, what have you done? Well, it was the serpent who beguiled me, tricked me into doing it. No one wanted to say, I'm sorry, I sinned, please forgive me. That doesn't happen, does it? And so, uh, I want us to think about personal responsibility in our actions toward God. I read something very interesting the other day. And I'm thinking, as I was reading this, prior to, to reading it, which caused me to come across it, has this mindset of pushing our responsibility onto someone else, has it found its way into the church? Well, I think maybe in a lot of places it has. And I'm not saying that it has permeated every congregation of the Lord's people, but I know that it has made its way into the Lord's church. I read some statistics, and I don't know if they're even accurate or not, but I think it makes a wonderful point. 10% of church members cannot be found. I think that's accurate, at least. 20% of church members never attend services. 25 admit they never pray. 35 admit they do not read their Bibles. 40 admit they never contribute properly or not at all to the church's treasury. 60% never give to any mission works. 70% never assume responsibilities within the church. 85% never invite anyone to the services of the Lord's church. 95% have never won anyone to Christ, but 100% expect to get to heaven. I think that's a beautiful point. It's a wonderful point. Again, I don't know that those numbers are accurate. It may be... Uh, exaggeration to make a point, I don't know. But that's a good point, isn't it? During Christ's ministry, I think Jesus was very careful to inform people of the responsibilities that they had as followers of God. And something has happened along the way. There are demands that God has made that comes with being a Christian, period. Right? I can remember when the girls were younger and they were coming up. We never gave an allowance. We uh, paid them for work that was outside of the normal work they would produce because they were part of the family. That's just part of being part of the family. You've got to do certain things because you're part of the family. And now if you do something above and beyond that from time to time, well, I want them to learn that uh, honest work, you get honest money. And then someone told him that a dollar a week wasn't really fair and I had to have a talk with somebody. But at any rate, you work for your money, right? But there are certain things we do simply because we're part of the family. And God has demanded certain things of Christians just simply because they are Christians and that transcends the initial responsibility of obeying the gospel. And we need to understand that. Because when a person becomes a Christian, it is at that point that the real responsibility of being a Christian becomes apparent. I remember as a child, and I used to tell my girls this all the time, and I think I might have mentioned this the other day to them. You remember the little golden books? I don't know if you remember those. They were little golden books. When I was growing up anyway, 
and had different stories in them, and they all had a moral, right? You remember the little red hen? Nobody wanted to help pick the corn or plant the corn. Nobody wanted to help pick the corn. Nobody wanted to help grind the corn. No, but everybody wanted to eat the bread. And so I told the girls the other day, I was Nicole hasn't been feeling well, and I was doing some cooking. I said, man, I feel like a little red hen. Can I get a little help in here? You know, of course they were helping me already, but <clears throat> that was beside the point. But we all have responsibilities in this life, and the Christian is no different. We have responsibilities we have to meet. Now, the title of the sermon this evening is God Expects Us to Behave Like Men and Women. Right? Not like children. Not like someone who doesn't know what it means to be responsible. He expects us to behave like men and women. To be adults. To grab hold of that responsibility and accept it and do well with it. Right? He's never asked us to do something that was unable for us to do. So I want us to consider a few areas this evening for just a moment where God expects us to behave like men and women. I want us to start with our living. Now that's a broad category, but I want us to start with our living. Now when I'm talking about living, we are responsible as Christians for the world around us to know to whom we belong. We live in such a way that people understand we are different from everyone else in the world. We're different from people who do not obey God, people who do not live for God, and people who are selfish and care nothing about them, uh, only about themselves. There was once a, an old lady who'd gotten to the point where her health was so bad she could not drive. Her eyesight was so bad she had a hard time caring for herself. And so one of the deacons at the particular congregation where she was a member was tasked with picking her up. Now, I thought that was a little... That, that kind of bothered me in general. You have to be tasked with uh, helping one of your uh, uh, greatest members, most likely, in, in coming to services. But at any rate, he goes to pick her up one Sunday morning, and she had overslept. So he goes in to get her, and because she had overslept, they were both late. And he came... Uh, Willing into the parking lot during Bible class, people could hear the conversation outside the windows. And when he got out, he asked her, he said, why do you even bother? You can't hear, you can't see, you don't really know what's going on. Why do you even bother coming? Well, they could hear him, but they couldn't hear the reply. Well, he went in, and everybody noticed that that man was had been crying. Well, after Bible class was over... Someone approached him and asked him what was going on and asked him what had happened. And he said, well, I said that to her. And her reply is, because I want the world to know to whom I belong. You know, she was very limited in what she could do. You know, it's hard to sing a song unless you know it by memory if you can't see. Right? It's hard to get all you, all you can get out of a sermon if you can't hear. But if you come and you fulfill what you can fulfill, people know to whom you belong. And when we live our lives, it is our responsibility as Christian men and women for the world to know to whom we belong. If each of us were to ask those in our lives, would they be able to tell us, you belong to God? Or would certain people in the circles in which we run 
be surprised to know that we were even Christians or claimed to be that way, right? Have you ever known someone, you found out, someone said, well, that person's a Christian. And you said, well, I never knew. I would have never known. I've known people like that. And that's not what God wants. If you don't belong to Christ today, we need to belong to Him, right? Whether it's through initial salvation, and we know what that is. I look out over the congregation, I see that, that most of us here are Christians, and we understand what that plan of salvation is. We need to remind people about repentance. That's the hardest thing in the whole thing, isn't it, I believe? Repenting, understanding we need to stop doing certain things, turning our lives around. Confessing Christ isn't a problem. If we want to belong to Him, being immersed in water to have our sins washed away isn't a problem. If we want to belong to Him, living for Christ sometimes presents a problem to us when we allow the world to overcome us, but we need to show people to whom we belong. That's part of our responsibility of living. Jesus asked His disciples, Matthew four twenty one through 22, you remember about putting the light under a, a bushel? What's the light for? Well, it's to shine forth, to make dark places light. He went on to say, Matthew five fourteen and 15, talking about that city set on a hill. Uh, I've mentioned this before, and Brother uh, Joe and I have talked about it. If you're in the desert and you're coming into Las Vegas at night, you can see that place from way off, right? Of all the lights. And Now, I'm not endorsing Las Vegas, okay? But I've traveled through there. And you can see that place from miles away because it's a light. And when I think of Christ making that statement, I think of that city because that's a, a good experience I had as far as seeing that. Now, it's not on a hill. In fact, I came down kind of into a, a bowl, it seemed like. I was up high and came low, but I could still see it from miles away. People want to understand, or God wants people to understand to whom we belong. Now, it's not enough to tell the world to whom we belong. We have to bear fruit. That's part of our responsibility of living. God expects that. Have you ever raised a fruit tree or, or grapevines or something? My dad did a lot of that. I can remember growing up, we had apple trees and pear trees and plum trees. And boy, I tell you, after about three or four years, if something wasn't producing, it was out of here. Someone said, well, you need to trim it. And my dad was always, uh, I can remember him saying, I am going to trim it right at the top of the ground. So he trimmed it and it was gone. He wasn't going to spend a lot of time on a tree that wasn't producing fruit. See, it's our responsibility as men and women to live and bear fruit for God. I remember I read one time about a fellow who who was uh, going into a coal mine. He was a young minister and he was going into a coal mine way back in the day and and going to talk with the men. And as he went into the to the coal mine before they started down, he saw in the back in the dark, but the light was coming in, a white petaled flower. And he said, how is that possible? A white petaled flower in, in amongst all this coal dust. And the coal miner said, well, pick up some dust and throw on it. And he did that. And the dust would not stick to it. The petals were so slick that dust would not stick to it. Now, that wasn't an accident, was it? That was by design. You know, a Christian is supposed to be that way. A Christian is supposed to live in the world. The world is supposed to know to whom we belong. And we are to bear fruit. And people are supposed to see that. That's what God expects. And that is by design. That didn't just happen. Notice what David promised himself. Turn over to Psalm 101. Psalm 101 verse 3. 
David promised, he said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. When I read that, I always think of that white petal on that flower. You know, when something cleaves, and this word cleave is that same word we read over in Genesis chapter 2. When the husband and the wife were to cleave to one another, that means inseparable. If you break it apart, you got a problem because you've torn the whole thing up, right? And so... David said, I'm not going to allow the sins of this world to cleave to me. Because once it cleaves to you, we have some issues. It's a lot harder to get rid of that than if we automatically learn to allow that just to fall off of us. We don't want to be a part of the world. Christians have the responsibility of living like Christ wants us to live like men and women. But we also have the responsibility of not only living, but applying what we've learned. That's our second point. How do we apply what we learn? We hear a lot of things. Uh, Most of us here, uh, and I guess all of us here, at some point or another, in some fashion or, or, or other, have been to some kind of school, right? Whether it was elementary school, high school, college, on on uh, uh, beyond that, we've been there, right? So how did we apply the things that we learned? Well, you have to add them to your life, right? Is it good enough to hear it? I can't tell you the classes I've sat in where I heard a whole lot of things. I didn't make much application. So I had some problems. I had to go back and do a little extra. Okay? But see, that's not what God expects. He expects us to apply and add what we need to add to our lives. Speaking on the responsibility, Jesus warned this. Mark 4, 24, He said, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. The desire we use, that we measure and use, will the result will be that that same measure of wisdom will be turned back on us. No matter what it is, Right? Uh, be careful how you measure out or how you meet out something. Whether it's forgiveness, whether it is uh, uh, wisdom or responsibility, that same thing will come back. We have to be aware of that, right? James talked about that in James 1, 22 through 25. He said, don't just be a hearer of the Word, but be a doer. He went on to talk about, uh, talking about the man who looks in the mirror and then he turns away and he forgets who he is. You know, you look in the mirror and you look like you need to clean up a little bit and you turn away and you forget that just because you forgot it doesn't mean all of a sudden you look fine. You still have an issue you need to handle, right? You need to uh, uh, do a little better. I remember when I was in preaching school and you wouldn't think that would be a problem. We had some guys that we needed to talk to. You know, hey man, you need to take a bath every day. You know, shave. You need to shave every day. You need to try to look your best. Work on your hygiene a little bit. Just because they looked in the mirror and then turned away and obviously forgot there was a problem, didn't fix the problem, right? So when we look in the mirror and we see ourselves, and we're talking about the gospel, right? We look in the gospel and it's like a mirror and it reflects what we ought to be. And we ought to be able to measure up to ourselves, right? Paul told those in Corinth to examine yourselves. We do that by the measure of the gospel. And then we make that application, We have to listen closely to the teaching. That's what Christ said. And in conjunction, James said, apply it to your lives. Add it 
to your lives. But that means there has to be action, right? If we're going to add something, there has to be some action. We have to do something. We have to be proactive. We have to desire to add those things to our lives. Failing to act upon the teachings of God's Word, I think is an all too common mistake. Now the writer of Hebrews addressed that, right? He talked to those people in Hebrews 5, uh, particularly verses 12 through 14, but, but really throughout the, the, the letter. At a time you ought to be teaching, you're in need of being taught. You ought to be eating meat, you're drinking milk. You know, when we have a baby and we've got a couple of babies going to show up here in a few months, and we're thankful for that. But if they go on for two or three years and they're just drinking milk, you know, I think we've got a problem. Right? They're not growing, what are we going to do? We're going to go see the doctor. It's not going to take two years either, is it? You know, someone's not growing, someone's not behaving properly uh, as a baby in, in what they need to do physically. We're going to try to find out what the problem is. Why don't we do that with Christians? Why don't we do that when someone's been a Christian for several years and they're not willing to step out of their comfort zone and do the things that they are responsible for doing? We need to say, hey, you're still drinking milk. You need to eat meat. We need to see what the problem is, right? I can remember when when we were first married, and I can say this because Nicole's not here, and if I wanted to know it, I'll tell her, girls. But uh, my wife wouldn't eat meat. She wouldn't eat meat. You know, she didn't like any kind of meat. She wasn't a vegan. She just, she'd eat animal products, but she wouldn't eat meat. And I always knew, though, uh, Taylor came along and I said, you know, one of these days, Taylor will get teeth and she will have to eat and Nicole will have to fix some meat. And that's what happened. And so I'm thankful for that, you know. But what, what would have been the deal if, if, if Taylor comes along, she's five years old, she's running around with a bottle in her mouth. That's a problem, isn't it? See, that's what was happening to the Hebrew Christian. He said, you ought to be eating meat. You're drink- you ought to be teaching people. And you still need to be taught the first principles. If a Christian can fulfill one of the responsibilities of the church, shouldn't they do that? Shouldn't a Christian who is able to do something do it? And I think we can do a whole lot more than what we think we can do. And God expects us to behave like men and women and take that responsibility. God wants us to be responsible in our living. He wants us to be responsible in applying what we've learned. And finally, I want us to notice God wants us to be responsible in our working. How many people have you known in this life, and that's our third and last point, who refuse to work? You know, it's a little hard for me to feel sorry for someone who is is lacking some kind of a need in this life when they refuse to work. I just have a real issue with that. I I was telling someone not too awfully long ago, I had been here a couple of months and I was sitting in my office downstairs, had the shade pulled and this uh, Ford pickup truck pulled up. It was a four-wheel drive, a big old truck and this lady gets out and and uh, she saw me looking at her, so I was stuck. I had to go answer the door because I didn't always do that because I don't know what they want. And uh, I'd never seen her before. And so uh, the doorbell rings. I open the door, and the first thing out of her mouth is, I need gas money. That rubs me a little wrong. I need gas money. I said, well, 
when you find where they're giving away gas money, would you please come and tell me? Because I could use some myself. You know? Uh, I don't know exactly what her situation was, but I felt like it maybe she was uh, not doing her part just by her uh, behavior, right? She expected someone just to pull out their billfold or just turn over the coffers of the church to them and say, okay, let's go fill you, you know, your uh, truck up with gas. It got about, I'm sure, 10 miles a gallon because I had one looked about like it and that's about what I get, you know? And so God expects us to be act like men and women. He acts. He wants us to be responsible in our working, and that's just in our in our secular work, right? Living and and taking care of ourselves. But what about our church work? Let's talk about talent. Let's talk about talent. Each of us has at least one talent, or many talents, right? And of course, we're reminded of Matthew chapter twenty-five. In there we see a man with one talent, a man with two talents, and a man with five talents. Right? Now, of course, within that context, those talents are money. But I think we can make an application to what we're talking about with our abilities. Right? And that comes, uh, and that coincides with responsibility. Right? We have to utilize, and God expects us to utilize our abilities. There was a, a story told about an inner city congregation. And they had recently converted a, a, a lady. She was of Puerto Rican descent. She didn't speak very much English. Spoke very little English, in fact. She came to the preacher and she said, You know, I, I would like to, the best that she could, she said, I'd like to help out. I want to do my part in the in the uh, uh, work of the church. He said, Well, what can you do? She said, I don't know that I can do anything. I don't know if I have any talent. He said, Well, I'll tell you what. They had a bus program and they would go into the city and they would pick up children. And, and he said, would you be willing to ride that bus and help watch after those children? She said, absolutely. And so what she would do when she rode the bus, she would look out and try to find the most neglected child she could find. And she would sit that child on her lap and she would talk to that child and she would carry that child into worship and she would keep an eye on that child the whole time. And she couldn't speak good English. But she picked out this one particular little boy and she set that little boy on her lap and they rode the bus and she carried that baby into the, into the worship and, and set that baby on her lap. And the whole time she's saying, I love you and Jesus loves you. That's about all the English she could speak. I love you and Jesus loves you. Wasn't that a great talent? That was a great talent. Because you know why? That baby wasn't getting that at home. Well, that, over time... The baby's just a little fella, maybe two or three years old. And over time, he kept hearing, I love you and Jesus loves you. And you know what happened one time? That baby turned around and said, I love you too. And the next day, they found that baby dead because his mother had beaten him to death in that inner city. He wasn't hearing, I love you at home. But he heard it from her. What a talent. What a talent. Now, what if she had just sat back and said, you know, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Can we tell someone we love them? Can we tell someone Jesus loves them? That's an amazing talent. He found the love from Christ that he never experienced at home because someone else had that talent. Within all of us, I think we have talents. Some may have talents that others do not have, and we need those people to step up and 
and do the things that God wants them to do. God expects us to act like men and women, to behave like responsible adults. If we don't use them, are we not shortchanging God in some way? If we have an ability and a talent and we're not using that, are we shortchanging God? When I think of talents and doing the best we can, I can't help, and boy, I hate to say this, but I can't help but think of Sister Nellie and I guess Tom as well. They take care of the correspondence courses here. And that's a big responsibility. And they do a wonderful job with that. And they have had correspondence courses go out all over this country and to other countries. What if they said, you know, I just don't feel like doing that because, you know, they don't feel the best in the world. But what if they said, hey, I don't feel like doing that. Could anybody say anything? I think we'd probably say, well, I can understand. But that's not what they do. See, we behave like men and women ought to behave. There's one talent that each of us have. And that's to be able to teach. And I'm not talking about necessarily teaching a Bible class. But I'm talking about teaching Christ to other people. Just like this woman who was in that inner city church, she taught a child that Jesus loved him when she couldn't do really anything else. I think when we see people like that, it is I am reminded by a statement that Peter made, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, of course, within the, the context of that, it's talking about the marriage state and how the wife is to be in subjection, scripturally speaking, to her husband. Not that she's in subjection if, if he wants her to do something she shouldn't do, but in subjection in the way that God wants all wives to be in subjection. Now, I don't know that Andrea, maybe we need to have a talk with her after a while, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but the whole idea is you be in subjection to your husband and through your chaste lifestyle, you might convert your husband. Now, that's what kind of teaching is that? That's simply living my life as a man or a woman, in teaching my spouse what God expects simply by my behavior, right? And I think that's what God expects us all to do. I think we've all heard the the saying, I would rather see a sermon any day than hear one. And I think that we teach people with our lives. And we go back to our living, right? To whom do we belong? Do I bear fruit? Do people know who I am? by my behavior in this world. Well, they ought to. They ought to. Paul admonished Timothy. He said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. 1 Timothy 4.12 I don't think responsibility is anything to be afraid of. doesn't mean we always enjoy it. I don't think it's anything from which we ought to withdraw ourselves. It's not always enjoyable, but it is something we ought to embrace as men and women, Christian men and women, and do the things that God asks us to do. And it's not always easy, but I always can't help but go back to the fact, I don't think it was easy for Christ to uh, fulfill His ministry over that three and a half year period, and He had to fight constantly with the Jews. I don't think it was easy for the Christ that when He was arrested in the garden after having prayed all night long with the bloody sweat. I don't think it was easy for the Christ to be able to stand there in front of that armed militia and tell them, I am the one you're looking for, let the others go. 
See, that took a brave man to do that, but I don't think that was easy. I don't think it was easy for the Christ to stand there and be humiliated in front of the the Roman rulers and in front of the Jewish rulers without striking the whole bunch dead. And thank God He did it, because that's probably what I would have done. I don't think it was easy for Him to allow Himself to be beaten and scourged. To, to It would have killed any normal person to carry that cross beam up to Calvary, to, to allow Himself to be nailed to it, and to, to hang there and watch the people come by, wagging their fingers, making fun of the Christ. You could save other people, but you can't save yourself. I don't think that was easy for Him. It's not easy to always be what we need to be. But He's our example and He did it. And I think that we need to fulfill that responsibility. And it's an honor to be able to do that for God. I think each of us ought to honor our abilities by utilizing them to the glory of God. If we do that, we're behaving like Christian men and women ought to behave. Like those who were given their talents when the Master returns, we're going to have to give an accounting for what we've done. We talked about this morning working on a better body, being able to uh, be clothed in that spiritual body after having pleased God and lived for Him. And that's what we're talking about. If you realize you haven't been responsible in living and applying or working, come back to God. Come back to Him today. Ask Him to forgive you. Repent of whatever the issues are in your life. That's not a difficult thing to do, though it may seem it is. We'll pray with you and for you if you need to do that in a public way. But either way, if you need to answer this Lord's invitation, please do that as we stand and as we sing.